It's the Ionomics Community Podcast. Lots of new stuff to talk about today. Sounds. No one sleeps when I'm awake, and it seems like uh, development at Ionomy is always awake. Aha. Get that? All right. So here we are, back on our discussion about Ionomy and the Ion blockchain. My name is Michael D. Pomerantz, MDP underscore ESQ. ESQ referring to me being. A former lawyer, but uh, remember, nothing on this podcast is to be construed as legal or financial advice. You can follow me on uh, Discord at Mpami, Mpami also on Twitter for my personal account, and uh, this is an Mpami production. Talking about uh, Game Grid, and in honor of Halloween, there's going to be a little extra treat in the Game Grid Halloween candy bucket. Uh, that'll be Quick Shift, a uh, drag racing game is coming along. I don't want to know, I, I mean, I'll talk a little bit about what Game Grid is. We've covered all of that, but I do want to talk about some of the implications of Game Grid and why I think it's an idea that merits your attention. Um, I also want to spend a little time, you know, this is file this one under Mike's crypto journey, but I've been reading a little bit about Nick Zabo and I wanted to share some thoughts about what I'd found. I mean, you're talking about wading toe deep into the Nick Zabo pool, but interesting stuff and, you know, a much more available character than Satoshi for those who wonder like what's going on here and how did we get here and why are we here? Um, And then, uh, you know, we'll just cover some of the services that are available. We want to remind you about share nodes and master node hosting and the Ionomy Exchange. And then we will wrap it up. But for right now, I want to thank you for coming back and listening to the Ionomics Community Podcast. record that is crossing the rubicon uh i saw them opening for somebody a long time ago when that record came out in 2009 and i don't even remember the headlining act the uh the 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 warm-up act absolutely blew it away all right let's start talking about game grid a little bit share some old thoughts like rehash some territory about 
what it is and what it can do, and then have like a little more of a philosophical conversation about tokens and game grid um, and game economies. But just so you remember, game grid is a platform for making crypto integration into existing games. And I have, I've looked around a little bit and maybe if you're listening and you can refer me to something that is proof of me being wrong, but I can't find another resource. Forget about how easy GameGrid's gonna make it. I can't find another resource that covers this crypto integration into existing games market. Like, I don't think there's anything else out there. Now, maybe it remains to be seen about how popular that's gonna be, but the idea of taking an existing game, particularly once the Unity API, we'll talk about that again in a second, but once that API is fully functional, it's gonna be plug and play to use a tired, worn out term. But that's literally how easy it's gonna be for an existing game, and now you could put crypto integration into it. And what GameGrid allows is that integration to take the form of a tournament or a leaderboard. The leaderboard is exactly what you have now. And incidentally, the leaderboards, or at least the tournament part of it is disabled as we get ready for the GameGrid implementation. But if you're an Ionomy Studios gamer, and that means Moon or Bust, Crypto Gravity, and Off-Road Heat, you are not eligible for any uh, tournament winnings until Game Grid is ready to go. But those kinds of tournaments can now be, once Game Grid is active, can now be added to any existing game. I think that's very cool. Also, the new functionality is that you can have head-to-head action in a uh, tournament. Um, so that means that you can have a bracket and advance through the bracket going head-to-head. And that once you've got head-to-head competition, I think it's sort of like getting more multi-dimensional than just the leaderboard. Um, so that is something that GameGrid will allow you to do. Now, with the product being pretty much ready or just about ready, I could say that it has... Uh, developed into an enterprise level product, which means there is a level of tweaking you can do and customization. The idea is that the developer interacts with the API on the developer's terms. The development of the game is not going to be guided by what GameGrid can do. It's the opposite. You can customize it. You can take it out of the box. But the concept is that the product will allow the developer maximum creativity. So we're not putting anybody into confinement as they add cryptocurrency functionality to their game. And it's going to be scalable. It's going to be used by uh, an indie developer, someone completely on their own. But it can also be used by a large game studio and that kind of versatility for the product is just going to make it more popular and make it more versatile. So that's pretty much my what is game grid spiel. I think what's more interesting for the purpose of a podcast is just having a second to think about what is 
special or interesting about this whole project. And I speak particularly to the concept of the in-game economy. Even before I worked in crypto, even before I knew what crypto was, I was playing mobile games, in particular a game called Real Racing 3. I know I've said this before, blah, blah, blah. But the idea is that I was sensitized to the mechanics of an in-game economy through Real Racing 3. And one of the key features of that in-game economy, forget about fiat. When we talk about fiat and crypto, we talk about uh, government-issued money compared to uh, crypto. When I'm talking about fiat in Real Racing 3, it's like the exchange rate was whatever the fuck they wanted it to be. And it changes so you could get more of a premium currency by spending more. So there was no there was no way to understand the exchange between either dollars, that kind of fiat, or the economy within the game. For example, assets include cars, assets include a premium asset called gold, and then assets include like a shitty asset called R dollars. But there was no relationship as to how these things could interact. Plus, and I mean, that's still true. It's not something in the past. And I think this is how a lot of games work. So that's one element of my pre-existing understanding of an in-game economy, that it was like, whatever we want it to be, and you have no choice. You have, you certainly have no control. And so that's the next point. You can't take these assets with you. And I understand, I understand the point. You wanna build the proverbial moat around your users. If I can cash out, if I can sell my cars and I can sell my, uh, my R dollars and my gold, I can take, the, I can take a credit hopefully some real money that I could use, but even if it's just a credit and and go play another game, whether it's another game from the Apple App Store or another game by this particular game studio, but you can't even do that. You are locked in and there's no way to get that value out. And, and the proposition is, look, dude, you were entertained. You had fun. God bless you. So yeah, I'm willing to live with that, but I also had thought, this is again before my crypto awakening. I had thought maybe it would be nice to have some kind of way to, to have some more control over these assets, to have some level of predictability, to be able to get them out. And uh, lo and behold, that's what a lot of people were working on, and I didn't even know it. And some of the people working on it are people who are thinking about tokens and their Ionomy team people. So the question is, what happens if you take away the moat? And the answer, as far as I could tell, is nobody knows. The fear that the big developers would have is that, look, if your game assets are real assets and they're tradable at particular values, like, you've got no reason to keep playing our game. You're just going to go out and be a rational economic actor and get the best value you can get. And my feeling about that is, Let's see what happens. I mean, the idea that, think of Bitcoin as a disruptive force. The idea that that would scare everyone away from fiat, as in government issued money, that hasn't really happened. And yet, like crypto is not going anywhere. Bitcoin's not going anywhere. So what brought about crypto was the concept of a different way of doing business, a total disruption of the status quo, 
without some worry about what might happen. It's almost the, I hate this expression, but it's almost the move fast and break things. And the desired end of having assets that could be that, that you could use. I mean, that wasn't an institutional idea. That's like a personal freedom idea. So eliminate third parties, free up the assets and see what happens. We're still in the early days of larger crypto adoption, but now that it has consistent value over a period of years, I think what you see is increasing interest in personal freedom. It's almost like if you build it, they will come. And I just want to know, like, what will happen in gaming if you have that same kind of freedom? I think it's very different in that the assets hopefully don't become as hyper valuable. I mean, I know CryptoKitties got on the jetpack for a little while. I don't know what those assets are trading for now, but the idea that something could go parabolic isn't, it shouldn't be the point. The point should be, it's about good games and not just one game, but about game developers working together so that they can share an interest in the assets. And I do think that there is a very positive vision for the future. If somebody is brave enough, um, or if a group of somebodies are brave enough to really give this a fair shake, because what I've seen with Ionomy is the technology is here. There is no reason to delay. And the concern is, well, if you can't build that mode around people, do gamers really want to do it? Do game developers, I mean, really want to do it? And it remains to be seen, but I think it's a fascinating uh, moment and I'm really excited to be a part of it. So we'll see what happens. All right, let's, um, let's get into Nick Zabo. I mean, I did just the, the, the smallest little sniff of his story. I think he's, I don't know if he's born in Hungary or if he is from of Hungarian uh, descent, but uh, he's an American living in California, and he's known as the guy who before even the white paper came out, uh, he had the idea for BitGold, which was a project that he laid out as a sort of philosophical, um, theoretical framework. It envisioned being a digital money, but it didn't have the coding, and so it never got programmed, and that was that. And so, you know, Nick Zabo, he's a guy who wrote about the future of money. He's also a legal scholar, which sort of brings him a little bit into my wheelhouse, which I, I was surprised, but he's not a science guy. He is not a computer programmer. Once you start to try and find out what's up with Nick Szabo, the first thing you find out is that there's a suspicion that he's Satoshi or that he and the programmer with whom he worked, uh, or I guess with whom he corresponded in the cypherpunk uh, message boards, uh, that the two of them, uh, Zabo wrote the white paper and the other guy did the, uh, did the programming. I have no idea. And it, it, in a way, it doesn't matter because the Satoshi mythology is, it's special because you don't know who it is. And so, you know, even if Zabo wrote the white paper 
What's more important is that he wrote other things. Like we've got the white paper and you could see how big of an impact on the world it has had. I would contend that impact is going to get larger. But there's a lot of other stuff. And I just started to look at this and I'm not going to go on and on about Nick Szabo, but it was surprising to see, first of all, that he's a legal guy. And second of all, that a ton of his writing is just sitting out there. And as much as people are like, oh, who's Satoshi? You know, what was he trying to tell us? Like, here's a guy who was either the same person or is someone with very similar thoughts about freedom, about scarcity, um, and about money. And he's got a ton of writing out there. So the blog is called Unenumerated. And if you're a law geek, that title itself is really special because the title refers to the Ninth Amendment of the United States Constitution. And that is an amendment that nobody ever talks about. You talk your Second, your First Amendment, your Fifth Amendment, your Fourth Amendment. Fourteenth Amendment is a really big one. Nobody talks about the Ninth Amendment. And what the Ninth Amendment says, and it goes back to the original Bill of Rights that was part of the Constitution at the moment that it was first enacted and first drafted. Ninth Amendment says, if we left anything out, it is in the unenumerated rights of the people, and they, those unenumerated rights, are constitutionally protected. It is recognition by the Founding Fathers that there was a whole universe of stuff that is left to the individual because of the need to emphasize personal freedom at the moment that this country was founded. And obviously that meant a lot to Zabo. So that is the name of the blog, Unenumerated. And I'll be uh, looking at more stuff there, maybe posting some quotes, but there's some really cool writing from a guy who, again, if he's not the author of the white paper, which a lot of people think he is, he is certainly someone who was thinking about all of this stuff at its very beginning. He's one of the forefathers of crypto and worth paying attention to. Okay, last but not least, uh, we're going to kind of wrap things up with, you know, I, I, I'm here's the pure shilling bit, okay? The Ionomy platform, um, which is now supporting uh, Ion Blockchain 4.0, which we talked about last week, but the Ion block, uh, the Ionomy platform is a phenomenal resource that has so much uh, to offer. Um, Masternode hosting, which even an idiot like I can do it uh, for a very reasonable rate. Um, Share nodes, which are a hugely popular asset. And basically, it's an asset that allows you to have, you know, the current rate for an ION masternode is 20,000 ION. Well, if you don't have the 20,000 ION, uh, you can still get masternode rewards, and that's through share nodes. And they can be for as small as a single ION. You can exchange that for a share. I mean, I don't know what the prices are now. Remember, this is the Ionomics podcast that doesn't care about market prices. But the share node can be had for far less than the masternode and entitles uh, the holder to a proportional amount of uh, the masternode rewards. So that's a fantastic service. 
uh, and the exchange itself, where you can actually trade share nodes, which is kind of unheard of. That's a that's a world exclusive. Um, plus, there's trading on other assets. Uh, the custodial services. I mean, the Ionomy platform. I could say I'm shilling, but I've also used it. Um, I'm currently using it, and what you have is an extraordinary tool that is easy to use, reasonable rates, and definitely worth checking out if you haven't looked at all the features that are available there. All right, at this point, I think we've got enough for one podcast. We're going to uh, we're going to get Fornax on as soon as possible. Hopefully, next week. Um, I'm going to text him right now. Uh, but thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for listening. Nothing in this podcast constitutes professional legal or financial advice. Crypto markets can be extremely volatile, and everyone is strongly urged to do their own research or consult with the appropriate financial professional. Also, this podcast is independent, but not unbiased. I'm a member of the Ionomy team and have been uh, given some time and resources to do this little project on my own. That's why I call it an MPOB production. So I am definitely showing for Ionomy, but I'm also talking about music and Nick Zabo and all kinds of other stuff. And I thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Ionomics Community Podcast. Time